into this. We're in a process in a series called right now. Uh, oh, one more announcement. Just got a text. And, right, um, we booked our um, our uh, Easter. You know, Easter's coming up. I'm pumped about it. I know this is odd, but I was trying to get this information all morning. We signed a contract that. How many guys know who Mary Beth Bird is? You watch The Voice. She just come off of it. She has. She's born again. Christian. She has signed a deal with us to be here Easter Sunday morning here at the Victory Church and help us bring in Easter. I'm pumped. Beautiful young lady. Very anointing. God's put her on a national stage right now. So she gets to be with us Easter Sunday morning. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So that's coming up. Keep that in mind. We're in the process. Of, we're in the middle of a series right now called Legacy. Living Life Beyond You. And this ties in so awesome to what I, I'm telling you. We start talking about living more than who we are and the devil brings us to the door we're about to take back some stuff from him so I'm going to drop back and I'm going to do it real quick because we've got a limited time I'm going to go back to where we started last week and just hit the top three topics the first three points real fast then we'll go into the fourth point and that's where we'll sit today is we're talking about how to live a legacy life how to live a life that's larger than you how to live beyond you how to, how to make life be more than just who you are because i got to be honest with you, it's a sad life if all you do is live for yourself. Because the thing about when you live for yourself, you have that means the problems that you have become your life. When you live for yourself, the issues that you're dealing with become your life. But when you realize that you were never meant to live for yourself, you were meant to live a legacy life. You were to live a life that far extends your reach, that lives beyond your time. Then you realize that, man, these little issues that we deal with are a drop in the bucket to what life really is. And so... Preaching this process, we uh, talked about other parts, but last week we hit the part of living a legacy life is you've got to be a part of something. God created you to be a part of something. And now, you don't have to be a part of anything. You can actually go through life not being what you're supposed to be or not doing what God's created you to do. And you can make life all about you. But if you do, it's a very lonely life. And you were never created to live life alone. You were created to live life with us and with people and with relationship. That's why it doesn't work without it. You say, well, Craig, I don't need a relationship. No, every, the very core of our life is built to be in relationship. That's why God created you. You might not need me to be your friend, but you're not going to make it without a relationship with God. You were born to be a part of something, a part of a relationship. And so last week we broke into it. And, um, you know, as a matter of fact, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says, it's not good for man to be alone. And you've heard that preached for years. And then, you know, the church, when we translate on it, it says, you know, so he made God a help mate. That's not what the scripture says. It says help meet. If you read it in the King James Version, it's M-E-E-T. Why? Because a meeting is a gathering of different people in relationships. You can be completely fulfilled and happy, not married, but you will not be completely happy and fulfilled without a relationship with God and a relationship with His people. That's what you were created for. So it says it's not good for a man to have that life, to not have that in his life. You need God and you need the church and you need the people. And so we began to talk about what is it that God made you a part of. Number one, He made you a part of a family. And I'm so thankful that God, when He created us, He created us with family in mind and created us for family relationship. Because i got to tell you, you know, I've, I've had to go through things on my own. I've had to deal with things on my own. But I didn't have to do with the, I didn't have to do it that way because I'm a part of a family. And any time I've allowed my family to be a part of what it is I'm going through, I didn't go through them. They were there with me, walking through what I was going through together as a family. And you say, "Well, Craig, I don't have any family." Yes, you do, because this is what the Bible says. The Bible says in John one verse twelve, it says this: "But as many have received Him, to Him He gave." Everybody say the right, the right to become children of God. Now, we talked about last week, a lot of people, they're called, they, they, God has created them to be a part of a family, but they have the right to be, but they never take advantage of it. Because of what the enemy has tried to use against them or tell them or even use the mistakes that they made in the past, they think they have lost the right 
to be called a child of God. So what they conv- the enemy convinces people of is, you know, the mistakes you made or where you come from or what you've been through. You don't have a right to be a child of God, just like in the story of the prodigal son. He came from a great family, and his dad loved him greatly, even gave him what he had asked for even before he could handle it. And he didn't handle it right. And he went out and squandered it and used it and found himself living in a place that a Jewish boy should have never been living in. Found himself living, feeding pigs, and not just feeding pigs, he was eating what pigs were eating. And the Bible said this, it said he came to himself, and when he came to himself, it said that he he saw what he was doing. He says, you know what, if I get up and go back to my father's house, he said, at least the servants there eat better than this, or have a better life than this. The enemy tried to convince him of the mistakes that he had made, the failures that were there, and the situation he found himself living in right there. He had lost the right to be a child of God. I want you to understand something. Nobody can take that right from you. Now, you can forfeit it. You don't have to act or live or function like a child of God, but you have the right to be a child of God. You have a right to be a part of this family. I've got to be honest with you. There's a lot of parts of my family that I'm not real proud of, or there might be parts of my family I don't like. Everybody's got a crazy uncle or a you know, crazy aunt or saying, Grandma, you're embarrassed of and all that kind of stuff. But I've got to be honest with you. I wouldn't trade any of my crazy family for, not, for anything in the world because with my family, at least I have somewhere I belong. Let me tell you what a family brings into your life. It brings value. It tells you what you're worth. I, like here in my own personal family, I have three little girls. You know, I love, and I'm, somebody probably going to get mad at me about this, but I love every little child in the world. I spent 17 years being a children's church pastor. I love kids. And people say, well, Cricket, you shouldn't have favorites. Well, I'm sorry. There are three little kids that I love on this planet more than I love any other kid. Because there are three kids on this planet that are mine. The rest of them are yours. But these three are mine. And the people, you know, I get accused in church all the time of saying, you play favorites in church. I do. And it just says, that's the honesty. I do play favorites in church. You say, great, you got favorite church members? I do. I really do. And you want me to tell you what makes fam- what makes church members more favorite of mine personally than other because we've walked through more we've been through more we stuck together through more and so i got to be honest with you they're part of the family at a deeper level than other people are i love every visitor and member that comes to this church but there are some that were that dug into this family and they became family and they walked with me through hell and i walked with them through hell they showed me that they valued me for who i am even though and i i pray that i valued them for who they were and we've been through some stuff and because of our relationship and because we've decided, you know what, we might be a different colored skin or we might come from different colors, but we're still family and family don't give up on each other and family don't, they've brought value into my life. I do have favorites. I love my family more than I love anybody else. And I'm here to tell you, God's the same way. He died for everybody. But he, he likes his kids more than he likes anybody else. Just, that's why he's so good to his kids. As, you know, the Bible says, if you're like the father that loves his children and he loves to give good gifts to his children, how much more does a father, do the heavenly father want to give you good gifts? I want you to know something. You want to be God's favorite? Be a part of the family of God. He treats his kids better than he's treated anybody else. He takes care of his kids better. He's never missed a child support payment. Not one single time. Even when his kids maybe we're gone for the weekend he is never God loves his family and you have a right the Bible says to be a child of God or you can choose to be a servant and the truth of the matter is the enemy tries to convince family members all the time that they're not as good as the other or tries to convince family members that they don't have the same rights as the other. They're the black sheep of the family. Or they don't belong in there. Or maybe they made too many mistakes. And see, the Bible said this when the, when the prodigal son came home. It says that, the Bible says the father was looking a lot, it says saw him a long way off, is what it said. Now, remember, he was coming home not as a son. He wasn't walking like a son. He wasn't talking like a son. He didn't smell like a son. He wasn't dressed like a son. He probably did not even look like a son at all. See, he done forfeited the right to be called a son of God. But the Bible says the father didn't care what they looked like, what he smelled like. The Bible, and I love it. So why do you suppose the father ran? All the way, because for a Jewish man to run, it goes against culture. 
Jewish leaders, they don't, they don't make haste like that. What it is, they, it's a sign of respect when they don't have to move into those hurried things. And so the Bible says when the sun was a long way off. Now let me draw this out real quick. Um, it never said the father had a bad thought against the son. Never. As a matter of fact, in Jeremiah 29, 11, it tells us what the father was thinking. It said that, uh, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They're good, not of evil plans to give you a future and a hope. Even when the kid was so far out there doing the worst thing the Jewish kid could do, the father never thought, I can't believe that. I'm so disappointed. The only thought that's represented in this story was the father got up every day and was looking for when he was coming home. When is my boy coming? Not when is that, it didn't make him pay for any of the mistakes, didn't punish him like we think God's always waiting to do. But, but the Bible says the father ran down the road, and I believe he did it for this reason. Because when the son walked back into the house, he did not want anyone in the house to look at his son as a servant. I believe he met him down the road, and he put the robe over his filth. Put the robe over the dirt. Put the robe over the torn and battered clothes. He put the ring. The robe was righteousness. He put the ring of identity. And he hugged him as a sign of affection. I want you to know something. Maybe you feel like a servant. I want you to know, if you would just give God a chance to show you affection, man, he will pour it on you to where everyone will be able to see. The Bible says that, that God blessed the children of Israel in such a way that the people knew they were the children of Israel or the children of God because they were so blessed. That's what the Father wants to do to kids. But you have to take the right. He says they have the right to be called. You say, well, how do I take the right? You start living like it. You start walking like it. You start talking like it. See, he could have walked in with his head down, nasty and filthy, but the father ran, threw the robe on him, and you know that made his head stand up tall. Know what God's done for you. Know what God has for you. Start living like you're a child of God. Start living, stop living like you're a servant. Because, see, to be a part of the family comes, comes value. Not only value, it offers reward and inheritance. See, and a lot of times when we read the scriptures about being, having the inheritance of a child of God, we think we'll get those inheritance when we get to heaven. No, no, no. In this story, the Bible is real clear. That the father was willing to give, not just the kid that asked. It says this. It said when he asked for his inheritance, he says he gave it to them. There were two brothers. There were two brothers. The youngest took what the father gave him and went and lived it out in the world like he wanted to. The older son, the Bible said, took his inheritance and stayed in the house. You know, you got to understand, God has an inheritance right now for you as a child of God. You know what it is? You'll be the head and not the tail. You'll be above and not beneath. It says that you will be more than a conqueror. It says all the promises of God are for you to live right now. That's your inheritance if you will take the right to be called a child of God. So number one, we're, we're to be a part of the family. And that's where you find your value. When you find what God thinks about you and cares about you and how much do you understand how much he thinks about you? In Psalms one thirty nine it says that he's had more thoughts about each one of us as there are sands on the on the, uh, the grains of sand on the seashore. That is a lot of thoughts. Because i got to be honest with you, that's a lot of sand. My little girls, when they go to the beach and we get back in the car, I feel like they put half the beach in my car. But I look out there and I can see, you can't even tell they were out there, each individual sand. It takes me weeks to get all that sand out of my car, but it doesn't even make a dent out of all the sand that's out there. And that's just one beach. All the beaches. The Bible says God's thought about you that many times and they wasn't bad thoughts. Because in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, I know the plans. One translation says, thoughts that I have for you. Plans to give you a future and hope. In other words, all those thoughts thoughts weren't bad, negative, hard against you. They were all, wow, I'm going to make him like this because he's going to accomplish this and I'm going to put this inside of him because he's so amazing and he's going to be in this situation, but I'm going to use him to change that situation. God's had all good thoughts about you. And when you start understanding that your father is a good father, then you can understand the value that you have. Then we talked about number two. Not only are you called to be a part of the family, but you're called to be a part of the body. Now, I was talking to a guy the other day on a job. And uh, when he found out I was a preacher, because one of the guys calls me preacher on it, and I usually don't tell people because they act different. 
And then I realized, man, that's so weird. Out in the world, when they find out you're a preacher, they act different. They'll talk, they'll quit cussing. But then I started finding the people, when you get back in the church world, when the people, when Christians find out you're a preacher, they begin to act different. They'll actually start cussing around you and getting mad around you. It's crazy how it all works. But um, I was out there and he was like, uh, he would, you know, when he found out I was a preacher, he started um, trying to explain to me how he loves God. And, you know, he, he has a relationship with God, and he reads his Bible, and he prays, but he don't go to church. And I said, man, what a shame. He goes, what are you talking about? He wanted to argue like, you know, a lot of people do. He goes, what do you mean? I, I can have a relationship with God without church. I said, you sure can. Absolutely, without a doubt. As a matter of fact, I'm, I got, I've, I've had my greatest moves of God or encounters with God in my life outside of church. So the problem with you not being a part of a church is, you can have a relationship with God, but you miss out on the relationship with me. And I miss out on the relationship with you. See, church is not just about can you have a relationship with God, but you're called to be a part of a body. We talked about it last week. God designed you to be a part of a church and a part of the body of Christ because we need you, but you need us. We talked about taking an arm and cutting an arm. If Pastor Maurice was in here, he's got them big arms. So we say if we took the biggest, strongest arm in this room and we cut it off of the body that's a part of, and we put it over there and we put the body over there, what will happen is this, that body will heal. And that body will get over it. And that body will actually continue to grow. It has the ability to keep getting stronger. But the minute the arm is disconnected, no matter how strong it was when it came out of the body, it begins to go weak. It loses its power. Life begins to leave it. It begins to dry up. It begins to shrivel. It begins to get hard. It begins to get brittle. And if you give it enough time, it will no longer be. You were designed, the Bible says, to be a part of the body of Christ without having to get into the time of it. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, it talks about that each one of us are a part of the body. Each body part is different. I'm so glad that you're different than me. I'm so glad that I'm different than you because Jennifer would never go to a church with a hundred of me in it. And so we're all different. We all function different. But the thing about it is, so being a part of the body says this. What it tells us, being a part of the family shows you your value. Being a part of the body shows you your function. Because every one of you has a function. I was talked about it last week about how my daughters, I have two daughters, or three daughters, and um, I, didn't, I don't want to raise a lazy child. Because if I raise a lazy child, it just makes her life more miserable. And so I, I take my daughters, and we, even though they're a part of the family, and being a part of the family, I wouldn't trade the world for them. Now let me tell you this, you can, my kids, just because they're my kids, I don't look at them with rose-colored glasses. I mean, I love them no matter what, but I may not always be pleased with them. Just because you're living a life that God's not pleased with you does not mean He does not love you like a child. You've got to understand that. You have a right to be a child. Now, as a function, in our house, we give our girls certain tasks and chores. Because they're part of the family, but they're also a part of what it is we do. And so if I did not make them do some of the things that our family does, if I didn't let them have a function, then what will happen is they'll grow up and they'll have a mis a distorted dis uh, understanding of what it is you're a part of. One of them has to wash dishes or load dishes one day. One of them has to do the clothes on a different day. We have, we have chores because what it is is they're finding out that there's value, not just in value who they are, they can also bring value to what they're a part of. And so God's called you to be a part of the body of Christ. And if you're not doing something in the body of Christ, then what happens is you'll eventually be out of the body of Christ. I'm just going to be honest with you. If my body right here before you was going around and it's, if there was a part of my body that quit functioning and it just quit working and it quit doing what it's supposed to do, first thing I do is run to the doctor and find out what's going on with it. Hey, what's wrong with my arm? I'll be praying about it the whole time. Praying. And I promise you, if you're in this church and you're not doing anything, you're just... Here and, um, you know what I'm saying, nothing's going on. We're, there's people praying for you. People praying for you because something's wrong. You were made to be a functioning part of the body. But then what will happen is if, my, if uh, something's not working and the doctors can't understand why it's working and they do whatever they need to do to get it working, eventually it will come to the point where they'll cut that body off, that part of that body out or off. It's just the truth. 
because the Bible says that that any that he's the vine and we're the branches. Any branch that does not bear fruit will eventually get pruned. And the sad thing about it is that's not the will of God. Well, God's for you to function. You say, well, how do I do that, Cricket? You need to get in this church, and you need to get a part of what this church is doing. Because God has called this church to be a part of changing the world. You say, well, how do I find that? We talked about it last week, and next Sunday, is it next Sunday? The 8th. The 8th, we're doing, well, what we do here at this church, we believe in encountering God. We believe in people finding freedom. Number three, we believe in you finding your purpose. Pastor Yvette is our connections pastor. He runs a class. First, we, we go through step. Your first step is to find out who we are, where we are, and where we're going. That's what step one is. Step two is you go in and the he helps you find your place. They do personality profiles, find out what you're good at, what you're not at, help you find your place in the body of Christ. Because I've got to be honest with you. you know, I don't want certain parts of the body doing other parts of the body that it's not supposed to do. I would not want my ear... To, I mean, my toe to scratch my ear. That would be odd. My fingers do that. All right? As simple as that. So He helps you find your part in the body so that you're not trying to do something that you're not. But when you find your part, what happens is the more you use the part of the body for its function, the stronger the body gets. You're a part of a body. You get to choose how strong this body is going to be. You get to choose... I wish it could be just the pastor's job to get to choose how strong and powerful and mighty and effective this church is, but it's not. Pastor don't get to make those choices. It's the body. It's the body that gets to make those choices. And so you've got to function here. Number three, we talked about you're part of a house. In 1 Peter 2.25, it tells us, you also, like living stones, are being built into the spiritual house. Now, the problem with being a part of a house is you understand you're supposed to be what? The, the, if you're part of a household, you're actually a part of what the household does and is and what it represents. And it, it has responsibility. See, the family is your value. The body is your function. But being a part of the house is your responsibility. God's put a responsibility on each one of us. And we talked about it being in the, the, the story of the talents where it says the master left. And in part, each, he left each servant of his house a certain part or certain talent, and they were to do something. And the one that chose to do nothing with it, he took the gold and buried it in a field because he said he was afraid. The Bible says when the master came back, he put him out. You've got a responsibility in this house. If you're a part of the house of God, you're supposed to go out and you're supposed to affect the world. You going out of here and going into that world, you should be able to affect as many people as you have has affected you. And so there's a responsibility to that. So all of us care responsibility. Now, I'm going to jump to the next because we only have a couple minutes. That's where I wanted to get to today. Number four, not only are you part of the uh, family where you get your value, part of the body where you find your function, you're part of the house where you carry a responsibility. You're a part of God's plan. Now, this is probably the number one question as a pastor I get asked is, Cricket, what's God's plan for my life? I'm about to tell you what God's plan for your life is. So when you walk out of here today, you'll never be able to ask a question about this again. You'll be faced with the decision. Are you going to do it or are you not? Now, the Bible said, you said, well, Craig, good God really have a plan for me, he does. In Ecclesiastes 3, it says, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. You're living in a time right now during a season, and God has a purpose for you. You were born now because the purpose of God and God's plan for you is now. You were not born a thousand years ago. It's not random. It's not by chance. It's not fate. God's hand has been involved. He said, I knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. God has something for you to do here now. And it's called God's plan and His purpose for your life. Now, in Romans 8, we don't got time to get into it. It's uh, verse 20. I'll read it anyway. It says, for we, all, for we know that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that just a great scripture? How many times we've claimed that scripture, but it says this is not for everybody. Not, does it, it doesn't work out for everybody. Not everything in every your life is going to work out for you if. You are not the ones this scripture is talking about. Because it said this, all things work together for good for those who. That means there are those that it don't. 
There are those that do, and there are those that it don't. It says, but it's for those that love God. And I don't know if I've ever met anybody that wasn't taking the claim of an atheist. I've met a few atheists, and I've seen some a couple of atheists give, get turned around and God brackly, and they change from not loving God. But you can ask about 90% of the population in America, do you love God? They say, yeah. So you think, all right, well, this is talking about everybody but the atheist. That's not true. It says, for we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. Meaning, if you don't take your part in the purpose of God, not everything in your life is going to turn out for good. I'm just being as plain and blunt because we don't have a whole lot of time. God has a plan for your life and got a plan for what's going on in history and a plan for creation. And you have a part to play in it. You were predestined. If you read on down in the scripture, it says that, it says, for, he, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among brethren. Who, moreover, whom he predestined, though these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Meaning all of that is that what he's saying is this. And God's going to cause everything to work out for your good. If you love the Lord and you understand you're a part of His plan, He planned you from the beginning. You were predestined to be here now. And if you will take on the image of God, if you will be what God's created you to be, I don't care what's going on in your life today. I don't care if your marriage is falling apart. I don't care if your health is failing. I don't care what. All things will work for good. But not for all. But for those that choose to be their part. In God's plan. Now we're going to speed up real fast. Because you got to get this. So you say, well, Cricket, how, how, what is God's plan for my life? Let's make it real clear and try to make it as plain as you can. God gave you this life and you got three things you get to choose to do with it. One, you can waste your life. And there are parts of my life I look back I wasted. You say, well, what is a waste, Cricket? Time that I invested into things that are of no value. There are people that waste their life on video games. Do you like video games? Absolutely, I do. <laughs> but i got to be honest with you. If you spend your life for video games, it's wasted. Because video games do no one any good but yourself. Is there anything wrong with video games? No. But if that's what you live for, you wasted your life. All right? There are some that spend their life. You get to choose either going to waste it or you're going to spend it. There are some people that spend their life building careers and spend their life making friends and spend their life. Now, I've got to be honest with you. Money has a monetary value. But I can take the same amount of money and overpay for something that is not valuable as I can take the same amount of money and buy something that is worth its value. Does that make sense? Or I can get a good deal. And I can get something for an amount of money that's way better than what it is I paid for. Does that make sense? Your life is being spent. You're either spending it on yourself, you're spending it on others, or you could spend it on what God created you to do. And then thirdly, you get to choose to invest your life. See, those that waste their life, this life will be over, and there the Bible says we're going to stand before two different judgment seats when we get to heaven. You can be saved and waste your life. The Bible says the first judgment seat we're going to come before God is going to stand you before it and He's going to say, what is your name? And hopefully nobody says this but me, but I'm going to say Cricket Abels. Alright? Don't try it because He knows identity. You can't use my name. I couldn't use Jerry Abels. Although at a time I wanted to. Alright, but I can't say, when I say Cricket Abels, He's going to open a book and He's going to flip through it. And if my name is in that book... The judgment that's to come from that throne will never touch me. Because it will touch Jesus who already paid for my name to go in that book. But there are going to be people whose name is not in that book. So the judgment that will come from that throne will judge them for eternity. But it doesn't have to be that way. The Bible says it's not God's will for none to perish. But that's the first throne. And a lot of people think that's the only throne. But then there's another throne we're going to stand before. After that one. Let me let you know, if you get past that one, you made it, alright? But then there's another throne the Bible says that we're going to stand before. 
And it's going to be the throne of judgment that judges us for what it is we did with the amount of days that we had here on this earth. There's another book in heaven. And the Bible says every single person in this room has a book in heaven with our name on it. And in that book, as the Bible says in Psalms 139, every one of your days is written on a book, on a page in that book. That's the predestined plan that God has already designed you for. And God's going to pull that book out. He's going to begin to read that story. And He could ask at any point, now, did you do this? And your answer will either be yes or no. And if it's yes, the Bible says you will receive a reward. If it's a no, then you lost your reward. And so there's another that what we do with this life, what we do if we, if we don't spend this life properly, we miss out on eternity, on parts of eternity that we could have. In other words, you can get to heaven, but if you wasted your life or you spent your life on things of no value, then it will affect your eternity. Now, in 1 Corinthians 3.10, it says, By grace, God has given me, by the grace of God, has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. And someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. Meaning, we should care about what it is we're spending our life to do. I read a different translation. (laughs) Mine was the uh, NIV. So, do you want to know what God's plan for your life is? God's plan for your life is to be a builder. Now, what you build is very important. Because, see, some people build, spend their life being a bodybuilder. And there's nothing wrong with being a bodybuilder. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, bodily exercise profiteth little, but it profiteth. So, that doesn't sound real bad. What body exercise will do will give you longer days on this earth than someone that doesn't. So, I mean, that doesn't sound like a bad thing. There are some people that spend their life building careers. You know what I'm saying? Their, their focus is to become somebody and something on this earth. And so they spend their whole life trying to build careers. There's some people that build, spend their whole life building wealth. And their whole value of this life and each day is how much money they got in an account. And they value what the value of this life was by how much money they get into these accounts. You know, there's some people that build homes. And, you know, they spend so much focus on having a nice house and nice cars. And, you know, the problem with all those things is this. When this life is over... You leave every bit of it here. You don't get to take any of this with you. I don't care how big your bank account is. I don't care how strong your body is today. There will be a day where this will all be gone. And when all of this is gone, you will either have spent your life or wasted your life on things that will not carry you into what your purpose was. But you're called to be a builder. So what is it that we build? What is the purpose? Well, what you do is you have to invest. You have to live for something greater than you. And you say, well, what do I invest in, Cricket? Well, you have to invest in building the kingdom of God. What is the destiny? What is God's plan for every single person in this room here today? Is for you to be a builder in the kingdom of God. It's that simple. It doesn't have to be all cray and just, you know, we make it so complicated. If we will become kingdom builders... It will not pass away. The Bible says this in 1 John 2.17. It says, The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. You can invest into something that will live beyond your days here. And by investing in the kingdom of God, you live beyond your days here. Because you're going to live beyond your days here somewhere. But the quality you live in, it will be affected by the way you live on your days. Now, you were made for more. You would say, well, Cricket, how do I get the more? In Matthew 6.33, it says this, But seek ye first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. God wants you to have all those things. God wants you to have a good career. God wants you to have a nice house. God wants, God wants all those things for you. The problem with this, we spend all of our time trying to build those things, and we don't understand if I would build the kingdom... If I will become a part of what God put me here for, He will build all that for you. And so there is a place that we live in. There is a life that you can get to. And there, there, so you say, well, Cricket, what does it take to be a kingdom builder? We'll give you these five things real quick and then I'll be done. <laughs> what does it take to be a kingdom builder? Number one, you'll never be a kingdom builder unless you know how to build your life on a firm foundation, which is your life's foundation has to be God. 
You will never find anybody that knows how to build a kingdom or be a part of building a kingdom whose foundation is not built on God. What does that mean? That means that God and what God's Word says has to be everything else you build your life on. Now, builders, and if you're a builder, that's what I am, builders understand the value of a good foundation. The foundation is what everything else will stand on. A foundation will determine how high you build, how big, wide you build, how far you build. You can only build to the size of the foundation that you're going to build on. See, the problem with it is, in building, and I've done it, is when I've built, I hate the foundational stage. Because it's the stage that you work usually the hardest, and you work the longest, and you don't see any of the difference. You know, you ever went by a building site and, you know, for day after day and week after week, you see all the big trucks and the tractors and all that all over this piece of ground. And it's like it's taking them forever to build. But then all of a sudden, boom, the concrete comes in in one day. And then the next week, the structure's sitting. It's because, see, the value of the foundation will determine how big, how high, how wide, how amazing, how heavy the weight that can actually be built on. You... Taking the time to build a foundation on the Word of God and a foundation on God in your life will stand the test of time. I've built a lot of things and I've built times where I messed the foundation up and it cost me fortunes down the road. I've built when I took the time and got the foundations right. See, and a lot of people don't understand this about building of a foundation. You just don't start where a lot of times when it comes to foundation, there's a lot you got to take out before you can put back in. You have to take time digging some things out. You've got to find out what it is and what fear is. That's what freedom was for. Digging in what was not supposed to be there in the first place to better withstand the building, the hurts, the, the wrong beliefs, the, the wrong understandings. You dig that stuff out and you replace it with the Word of God. And when you get the foundation right, the sky's the limit. There's no... There, when, and the thing about the Word of God is, it's such a strong foundation... That when you build on it, you can never, it will never, you will never out exceed the weight of the foundation that you can put on it. I'll read real quick. It says in Jude one twenty, it says, But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith, praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. In uh, Colossians 2 7, it says, Plant your roots in Christ and let him be the foundation of your life. Be strong in your faith, just as you were taught, and be grateful. See, people that want to build a life without having, allowing people to be able to teach them and, and without being a part of discipleship, you're missing out on what God can use your life to do. There's multiple scriptures we've got to speed on. Number one, you've got to have a foundation. God has to be the end all for all in your life. Not circumstance, not storms, not winds. Number two, you got to remember that love is the very most important part of your life. Not success, not achievement, it's love. This is what the Bible says. In Galatians 5, 6, it says, For in Christ, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumstance or, or neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. What that's talking about there is religion. In those days, it was a sign of who was, who was right with God, whether it was circumcision or uncircumcision. You know, it was a cut, and it was a sign, and it was a cutting away of the flesh. And it's got all the things. But he said this, The only thing that counts is faith expressed itself through your love. So it don't matter how good you sing, how great you are. It does not matter how amazing you, you the, uh, of a Christian you, everyone thinks you are. The only thing the Bible says that it matters is the faith, your faith being demonstrated through love. And I got to be honest with you, one of the saddest parts about Christians is that we have a part to play in God's plan. We're a part of His, of His master design. But because a lot of us don't understand the value of us having to learn and live love, we think we're a Christian, but we're not doing what God's called us to do. If we can't treat people that are different than us, if we can't love people the way that we want to be loved, if we, the only thing it says that matters, the only thing that God's going to see when it comes to whether or not how good of a Christian we are is how good we love. 
Our love affects everything. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 says this. It says, If I speak in tongues of men and of angels and do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries, I'm going to be so smart. I blow everybody away. I can quote scriptures. So I've got to be honest with you. I, I, I've, I've been in a lot of places and done a lot of things in church world over the years, and no one has come to me and said, Man, cricket. Your wisdom in the Bible has blown me away because obviously I don't have that. But I have been in situations and left and got letters or emails written back that says, man, you really loved us while you were there. I'm not bragging. What I'm saying is this. People aren't going to remember what you say. They're going to remember how you treated them. And if you want to be a part of God's kingdom, if you want to be a kingdom builder, it's built on love. Life minus love is zero. If you can't love, if you can't love others, if you can't love others no matter what, it's zero. Everything, every marriage is built on love. Every relationship is built on And when you don't have a foundation of love, i got to be honest with you. If you can't love, Jensen Franklin broke a book called Love Like You've Never Been Hurt. Powerful book. But he understood that everything... In your destiny, God can't use mean Christians. God can't use hateful people. Because the Bible says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. It says, He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. If you're too busy to love, see, and this is where the enemy traps us though. The world don't recognize love or admonish love because... They don't see, they can't see love, although it affects everything. What they want to build people up on is an accomplishment, or they want a value of worth, or to see love is really what matters, and that's all that matters. And the devil's constantly trying to get our focus off of kingdom living and on worldly living. And what the absence of love does is makes us move to a place where we don't value relationship. There are times that. My life will get so busy, and I'll get so into what I'm doing. And y'all know me, I'm an extremist in everything I do. Basically, I, I go at it as hard as I can. And what I'll look back and realize is this. I was out building the kingdom of God, and I hadn't spent any time with my wife. Or I'll be out building the kingdom of God. And for years, I did. I would leave at daylight in the morning before my wife and kids were out of bed. I would come back after dark, and we were building churches and building Christian schools. And what I call building the kingdom... But this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that none of that mattered. I mean, I had to go to work. I had to make a living. But I thought that was making my value in the kingdom. I was making a difference. But look at this scripture. It says this in Luke 9, 48. It says, And he said to them, Anyone who takes care of a little child like this is caring for me. And it said this, And whoever cares for me is caring for God who sent me. Your care for others is the measure. Everybody say the measure. measure. That what a measure is, is the, is the qualifying standard. And what I mean by this, I've been so busy in my life, and I still do it. I'll walk by somebody because I'm so busy going where i got to go. I don't stop for a minute and love them, and I'm working on it. I'm trying to make my measure. I want The Bible says in Daniel, that says that there were some men, and God measured them, and they fell short. i got to be honest with you, the only way you will fall short in whether or not you did the will of God is how well you love people. And if you don't got time, dads, to love your kids, if work is more important... If you don't got time to love your wife because sports are more important, if you don't got time to invest the love, then what's happening? The enemy is stealing your value and your place in the kingdom because it's the qualifier. As a matter of fact, Jesus said this. The rich young ruler came to him and said, Master, what is the greatest commandment? I'm sure he thought, number one, have no other God before me. That's not what he said. He said the greatest commandment. Is to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and to love others as you love yourself. If you do nothing else for the kingdom of God, but you're known for your love, by caring and loving for people, you will be a part of the kingdom of God. All right. Last next one is I'll read the gather the right companions. The people you choose to be your closest friends will determine whether or not you're a part of a kingdom builder or you're a part of this world system. Your friends matter. 
your friends matter. All the way through the scripture it says this. It says or in 1 Corinthians 5.33 it says, Do not be deceived. That anytime a scripture starts off like that, it says don't fool yourself. It says bad company ruins good morals. For years, and I'll just throw that out, for years, because I would try to, um, before I was married, and uh, I did what they called missionary dating. Anybody ever pulled that off? <laughs> what I did was I thought all the good-looking girls were out in the world. And, and the, so I was more concerned about chasing good-looking girls than I was, you know what I'm saying, about building relationships with strong Christians and because Christians affect you, the people you build affect you. So I was always catching myself with friends and relationships. Can I borrow you, Brother White? Just stand right here. I was always trying to pull this off. I was always trying to take hold, and I was trying to pull people up. Now let me ask you this. If I'm pulling him up, at the same time he's trying to pull me down, who's going to win? Honestly, who's going to win? Because, see, he's got more on his side than I do on mine. Gravity is working against me. There are natural laws at work. You will not... Yes, am I supposed to pull people up? Yes. But I'm not supposed to let, be pulling my friends up. What does that mean is, see, God made you a part of a community that's bigger than you. That's the value of the church. See, I find my friends... I'm to find my friends in the people that have chosen to live the way I live. And so if I'll make men of God my friends, they will show you, will show you where I will be in the future. And when I fake my friends and I make other people that are not in the kingdom my ministry, in other words, I'm more concerned about affecting them than I'm going to let them affect me. What will happen is God will begin to use me in the kingdom of God and my life will begin to make sense and I'll begin to be fulfilled. And the truth of the matter is, we're more concerned about people being our buddies than we are about making ourselves. And you say, well, Craig, I don't like anybody in that church. Make yourself like people. And I've learned this. Anybody I didn't like in my past, I look back because I didn't spend enough time with them. Because if you, you say, well, I just don't like that guy, then you need to spend time with them. You don't like anybody in the church. Get in that church and spend time with them. You'll find out that what you thought about them is not true. They were, yeah, you know, yeah, they're all messed up. Yeah, they are messed up, but they're in the church. They're better than the all messed up people out in the back because the ones out in the world will pull you down. The ones in the church, they may be messed up, but they're going to pull you up. And so, think about it. If someone's not pushing you toward being a kingdom builder, they better not be your friend. They better be your ministry. Does that make sense? There's a difference. You say, well, Craig, you're not, I'm not supposed to judge. Yes, you are. You are most certainly supposed to judge. And you're supposed to live a life that others can judge you. The Bible says, judge not lest you be judged like in the same manner that they judge you. In other words, if I'm going to look at somebody's life and have to decide whether they're a friend or a ministry, they need to look at my life and decide, can I be a friend or should I be a ministry? Does that make sense? The Bible says that I'm a fruit inspector. I better know who my kids are running around with. I better know who I let spend the night with my kids. I better know this stuff. I am to judge. And my job is this. If I'm going to build a relationship, I'm going to have a friendship with somebody, and we're going to be brothers, I need them to be going the same direction I'm going. Because if I don't, they're going to pull me back. Amen? All right, let's go. That's, that's all the time I get on that one. Commitment to a great purpose. i got to close because I want to talk about what we're going to do. Commitment to a great purpose. Number four, if you're a kingdom builder, you've got to be committed to doing something besides just making your life better. You've got to be a kingdom builder. The Message Bible in 2020 says that whoever wants to be great must be a servant of all. You've got to be a part of the Great Commission. See, there were two greats in Jesus' life. There was the Great Commandment, which is love God and love people. There's the Great Commission. That's love God and love people. In other words, take God to where they are. See, we keep waiting for unsaved people to come into church. That's not what it said. He says that never are we supposed to judge. Just let unsaved people are glad when they do come because we want to get them saved. But the Bible says that the church is supposed to go to them. Do you understand? I come into the church for my relationship. I go into the world to make a difference. And so you have to understand that the Great Commission is a part of your destiny. It's not just the preacher's job to preach. It's not just the teacher's job to teach. Your job is to go into the world and be the light and be the salt. You're supposed to affect the world that you work in. Now, you are called to be a part of the Great Commission. You are called to ministry. Every person in here is called to full-time ministry. You say, well, Cricket, I don't know if I'm called to... You're a preacher. I'm not... You may not be called to get your paid. There's a difference in your vocation and your occupation. Your occupation 
occupation is what you do to get money. Your vocation, if the word vocation actually comes from the word vocal, vocal called, it's what God called you to do. It's your great destiny. And so you can go to work, but while you're at work, you're called to be a, you're called to be a minister. You, you minister everywhere you go, everything you do. It has to be beyond your Sunday morning service, has to be beyond what you're doing as a Christian. You gotta understand that if I'm gonna do what God's called, I'm a part of His great plan. You're the one that is supposed to reach the ones on your job that are not saved. You're the ones that's supposed to make a difference in your family with love and the gospel. You're the one that is to carry what God has done on this earth out to the earth. You are the great commission. And you've got to understand. See, Jesus, we think, all right, well, you've got to go to Bible school or you've got to go to, you got to, uh, you know, do, do you understand when Jesus came and found the disciples, every one of them were grown men. He didn't go to the seminary. He didn't find kids. They were grown men that each had a job and a lot of them owned a business. He went after businessmen to build the church. Do you know why he did? It's because, see, I don't care what you do for occupation. You're called to be a minister of the gospel. And the Bible says everything... Read this one scripture. It says this. It says, in Colossians, it says, whatever, in Colossians 3, 23, it says, Whatever you do, work it with all your heart. It said this, as working for the Lord, not for human masters. I got a human boss. I understand that. But the reason why you got a human boss is God put you there for this time at this moment for you to do the job, but to be a minister while you're involved in it. You to be a part of what God's doing on this earth. You have to understand you're called by God to make a difference in this world. You got to go out and show out. It's what you got to do. Then lastly, this is it. You got to have the courage to do what needs to be done even if it's not popular or you do it alone. Every world changer had to make a decision. If nobody else does that, I'm going to do it by myself. Every great social leader that changed this world, Martin Luther King, he was saying stuff that no one else was saying and he had to say it long enough to other people started saying it with him. All the way through history, there were people that understood they, their job is to make a difference. And if you don't start making a difference, if you're waiting on everybody else, you missed it. Someone else got your position. Ecclesiastes 23, 2 says, you must follow, it says, you must not follow the crowd in doing wrong when you are called to testify in a dispute. Do not be swayed by crowd to twist justice. That means this. You got to understand that you're different. That God created you for a purpose. You're a part of His great personal design for your life, but also the design of creation. And life will not work for you until you get into the place that God put you here to be. When you begin to, when you begin to live the purpose that God put you here, God knows how to make you happier than you know how to make yourself. Because He designed you. If things are not working in your life, then submit to the destiny of God. And say, God, not my will, but Your will. God, not my way, but Your way. I'll be a part of the family. I'll be a part of the body. I'll be a part of the house. I'll be a part of Your plan. And I won't just waste my life, and I just won't spend my life doing things that don't matter. I'm going to live my life and invest it to things that will make a difference on this earth and into the eternity to come. Saddest thing in the world would be to me that any of my family members die and go to hell and I could have done something about it. I'm just being honest with you. Saddest thing. You say, Cricket, that, could that happen? Absolutely. The Bible says that in heaven, Jesus is going to wipe away tears. The only reason I can think of anybody to cry in heaven, I thought about it. Uh, when I thought about it was when I wasn't living for God. And I was sitting there thinking about it one day. Why in the world would Jesus be crying? And this is what I thought. If my dad gets to heaven and he turns around and realizes I didn't make it, my dad would begin to weep. I could ruin his heaven. So what would happen? Jesus would have to walk up and he'd have to wipe away the tears off my dad's face. That means he would. the only way my dad could ever be happy in heaven and enjoy heaven and do it is if Jesus wiped the memory of me out of my dad's life. Because he could never enjoy heaven if I was burning in hell. I could never enjoy heaven if my little girls were burning in hell. 
And so I can't save anybody. But I can do whatever I can do and do whatever it takes on this earth to make sure that I get God into the presence of where they are where they can be encountered by God. I have to live life bigger than who I am. Saying that to say this. The devil messed up this time because he got me fired up. (laughs) He brought someone that did not have an answer to what they were going through in this city to our front door. And we already knew God had a plan for our church. And we already knew that God was doing things. And we already knew. But He messed up because when He brought it to our gates, I just decided this. I'm going to do whatever it takes to push Him off my gate, off our property, and I'm going to take some property back for Him. So we finally set a date on when Monroe Church launches. The Victory Church Monroe is going to launch the last Sunday in April. We're going to go back. We're not just going to take this city. We're going to take the next big city too. We're not just going to take this state. We're going to take the neighboring state too. We're not going to just... Because I'm telling you, telling you, either you can spend your life trying to protect what you got and you're going to spend your life fighting the devil or you can decide to take what the devil's got and you can spend your life fighting the devil and building the kingdom of God. I've just decided... That man, playing defense is not near as fun as playing offense. And so I'm going to go after everything that the kingdom of God has. And this church is going to be known for a church that is going to do and build the kingdom of God. And so this is my thing. Life is bigger than who we are. And you say, well, Kirk, how do I live bigger than me? You just simply, you just simply start loving everybody you know. You start simply taking on the responsibilities that you have. You start living what God has called you to do and do what you can do and God will do what you can't. But you have to take on the understanding that God has a part for me to play. And you can sit passive-by and let that part pass you by or you can build the kingdom that you, the way you were destined to build it. If you're here this morning, you say, well, Cricket, I'm not a part of the family. I've never asked God in my heart. Cricket, I'm not a part of the body. I've, I've never been a part of a church. Cricket, I'm not a part of the house. I have no idea what you're even talking about there. And I surely don't understand what you're talking about about God's plan. I'm here to tell you, God's plan was for you to be here today. It wasn't by chance. The devil did everything he could do to keep you from being here today. But the devil's never been able to be God. God always... Always, His will comes about, then it comes to a point whether you get to choose it or not. This morning, if you're here and you're not right with God, you got a choice. God has got you here. Now, are you going to say, not my will, your will? And are you going to join the family? We would love to have you a part of our church. You know, God's got a place and a responsibility for you in this house. You make a difference. And then God wants to use you to change the world. All you have to do is, number one, just give your heart to God. The cool thing about it is when you give it to Him, you become His responsibility and He begins to take care of you. I can tell you this. If you give your heart to God and you hold on to His hand, His hand will begin to work everything out in your life that was broken when you came in this place. You can watch it at work. If you're here today and you say, Cricket, I need to give my heart to the Lord today. I'm going to pray with everybody in here real fast. I'm going to ask everybody in here to bow your head and close your eyes. If you're in here and you say, Cricket, I need to do this. I know that God's got me here and it's part of His plan. I want to give my heart to God. You mean it in your heart when we pray this. You mean it. I'm not going to put you on the spot, but you mean it. And this is how you do it. Everybody in this says, Dear Father, I ask you right now to forgive me for any sin that I've committed in my life. God, I thank you for designing me and creating me for a purpose. Thank you for wanting me to be your child. Thank you for giving me the right to be your child. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to be a part of a church. Thank you for putting us in a house that gives us responsibility where we can make a difference. And God, thank you for trusting me enough that I can make a difference in this world. Right now, I believe, Lord, that you sent God, Jesus, to die on the cross for my sins. But I believe He didn't stay dead, but He rose again on the third day. And today, I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer a minute, would you simply show us that you're a part of our family now? We want to we celebrate. Give these guys a huge hand clap. Your family. 
your family, you're not by yourself anymore. You have a place to belong to. Sister Doris, where Mr. Doris? Stand up, Mr. Doris. This is our pastoral care pastor. Uh, you're in the family of God. You're a child of God. But we also would love for you to be a part of this church. This is our pastoral care pastor. She'll be in the foyer. If you don't know how to move to the next level, how to be a part in the us be able to help you as a part, you catch her out there. She will find out your information and we will walk with you this week or this month or this year before we need to to find what God is doing in your life. But the rest of you, you walk out of here and make a difference in this world because you have a part to play. Amen? Tonight's going to be unleashed and it's a little bit rockier, a little bit harder, a little bit... You say, well, how can that be? Come tonight, you'll see. God bless you. Come to one of our small groups. It's going to be a great time this week. We've got marriage classes. We've got Celebrate Recovery. We've got men's breakfast. We've got so many things that you can come be a part of. God bless you. We need you as much as you need us. And we'll see you at these events. Amen, amen. You're just with